following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. I'm glad that you were able to wade through the mountains of ripped up wrapping paper and cardboard uh, to find your way here this morning. Um, and I have to admit, uh, I've said this before, Christmas is, um, it's Christmas, uh, and usually when it's over, so am I. I'm like over it, uh, over Christmas. So, um, like, there's no Christmas carols playing at our house anymore. We um, don't need to listen to that. But I hope that you're not, you are not like me for a lot of reasons, but I hope that you are not so over Christmas that you can't stand to hear any more about it. Um, and uh, uh, I'm kind of the, I'm the kind of person that only has um, use for Christmas music on Christmas Eve. The same with snow, like it's good for Christmas. I'm good. Yeah. Sorry, Will. Uh, I just, you know, I'm done with it. Pack up the records and the snow and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to wait for next year. But I hope that you can stand just one more Christmas sermon. Um, it should be easy since I've only preached one Christmas sermon this year, last week. Um, so turn with me to John chapter one. That's page 886 in the Pew Bibles. And this week, I want to focus on just one question in considering Christmas. And the question is, who is it that you see in the manger? Who do you see in the manger? So let's pray, and then we'll dig into that question. Father God, we're so grateful for your presence among us this morning. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, you have given us this place uh, to gather and worship you. To the, thank you for the freedom to have your word in front of us. Um, to read these words that are your words. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would guide us through your word, instruct us, and change us as a result of our time together in it. We love you, Lord. And we give you this time for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's, when I think about Christmas, there's a lot of things that go through, uh, that go through my mind, what Christmas represents, uh, to me personally. And there's, um, family gatherings and well thought out gifts and twinkle lights and way too much to eat. Um, but there are also the elements of, of Christmas itself, the, the ancient scenes of uh, shepherds and angels and wise men and, and jolly old fat men and things like that. Yeah. Well, and of course we know at the center of all of that is the baby in the manger. And much has been made of the... Um, the humble scene of Joseph and Mary relegated to the stable because there's no room for them in the inn. And when Jesus was born, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, which is just a feed trough for animals. Um, and when you think about that scene, and in your heart, look into that manger, who is it that you see? A sweet Innocent, helpless, newborn, 
Are your thoughts informed by old Christmas carols? I think growing up, I learned, you know, this is what the original meaning of Christmas is, is based on what we sing, not necessarily what we read, right? So do you really believe that the Lord Jesus, that little baby, didn't cry? Right? The cattles are lowing. The poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes because he's perfect and perfect babies do not cry. Right? You really believe that the night was silent because the song said so? In a city where there's no room for people to stay anymore because there's so many people there? Oh, it's a silent night. I guarantee it. Right? They're in a stable, right? If the little drummer boy song is true, neither of those other ones can be true either. No crying babies in Silent Night. There's a kid with a drum, right? Yeah. Stupid drummer. Crazy drummers. Well, I'd like to look at... I can say that because I am one. It's fine. Um, I'd like to look at the Gospel of John and look at the reality of exactly who it was lying in the manger. So we don't allow our sentimentality to divine our perception of reality. The Apostle John, the little brother of James, was referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote his gospel account after the other three gospels um, that are often called the synoptic gospels. Um, And the synoptic just means that they're seen together, like they closely parallel each other. And John's gospel is very different. Um, in both style and purpose. Um, uh, Matthew and Luke both include uh, the nativity account where Mark goes straight to John the Baptist, like straight to the ministry of Jesus. Um, Well, John's gospel is very different than that. Uh, This gospel was also written after all of Paul's letters. It was written after all of Peter's letters. In fact, it's one of the last books of the New Testament uh, to be written. And it shares a unique perspective on the ministry of Jesus, um, though he never mentions the manger scene itself. So I want to just look at the first 18 verses. And this is not by any means the beginning of the series in the Gospel of John. This is just for today. Um, But I'll leave you in suspense as to where we're going next. So let's read John's prologue to his Gospel. John 1, 1 through 18. And look for who was... Who it was that was lying in the manger. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything or was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. May God's blessing be on his word. This is one of my favorite accounts of of the one who was born that night in Bethlehem. This is a wonderful and deep and rich description of who Jesus really is. We get so caught up in the in the greeting card pictures of Jesus, the flannel graph pictures of Jesus. That, you know, he's just a Palestinian peasant. He's a great teacher. You know, he's a man of the people. He was just a poor little baby. The refugee. All of these things. What do you learn about Jesus from these verses? Because it doesn't describe any of that. Verse 1, we can see several things. Jesus was in the beginning. Meaning he was there before things got started. Jesus is eternal. We get caught up on the baby. We get caught up on the earthly ministry and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and forget that that is not the beginning of Jesus. He's there before the beginning. He is eternal. He is not created as some would have us believe. Rather, he is eternally existent. He has always been and always will be. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is not a created being. He was in the beginning. John says, Jesus is the Word. A word, any word, is how thoughts are expressed. That's how we do it. Uh, Whether spoken or written, words are used to express thoughts. And Jesus is the Word, in that He is the expression of God. He is how God expressed His thoughts. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus is the expression of God. And when you look through the Old Testament and see different times where God shows up, the burning bush, he's wrestling with uh, Jacob, right? The commander of the armies of the Lord, that's Jesus. Don't get stuck on the baby. He is there all through the Old Testament because he is the expression of God. Not only is he the expression of God, he is God. Jesus is not a God among many. He's not God with a small g, 
right? When you're referring to Father God, when you're referring to Jesus as God, use a capital G for crying out loud. Come on, capitalize. <laughs> Just a way to show respect. God is uh, Jesus is not a God among many. He and the Father are one. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are what we call the Trinity, right? The tri-unity, the Godhead. They are distinct, but one. You want to explain it better than that? This is a concept too big for our small brains. They are distinct in nature, but uh, they are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. People have spent lifetimes trying to explain that better or draw pictures to help you understand the different parts of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, like an egg. And one is the yolk, and one is the white, and one is the shell. Well, not, that's a poor, poor I'm not even going to try anymore. They're, they just don't measure up. It's bigger than we can handle. Faith is kind of cool that way. Take it on faith. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Anyway, Jesus is also the creator. You think of him that way? When you think about the creation account, God spoke and it happened. Where's Jesus? Right. He's the one that spoke. He's the expression of God. He's not only present at creation, but in fact is the agent of creation. John wrote, all things were made through him. Okay, simple. Without him was not anything made that was made. Our friends of the translators of the ESV make this language a little clunky. Nothing was made without him. Jesus is the creator. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. When God is creating man, he's talking, he's talking to himself in perfect fellowship with the Son and the Spirit. The Father says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's Genesis 1, the first chapter of your Bible. There's Jesus, there's the Holy Spirit, there's the Father. Let's make man in our image. That wasn't just something clever the translators did. That's the Hebrew word, our, right? Our image, our likeness. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are active in our design and creation. Jesus is our creator. Baby in a manger, right? Jesus is also the life. Jesus is life. It is only through Jesus that we have access to life beyond this life. This is a limiting factor of faith in Jesus. There's only access to life beyond this life is through faith in Jesus Christ. The life beyond this life, the Bible calls everlasting life, eternal life. John 3.16, right? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we say, well, Christians die all the time. It's true, they do. That's not what John meant by perish. That is eternal death. 
That is destruction. Only through faith in Jesus Christ can people avoid destruction and have eternal life, life after this life. In John 11:25, Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life. And he said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Your body can end, but through faith in Jesus, that isn't the end. Jesus is the life and he is also the light. Verse 4 says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I think that's, for me personally, that's one of the things I like the most about lighting the candles on the Christmas Eve service. It's already kind of dark in here. And we light those candles, especially the Christ candle. And it's like, yeah, this, now we're talking light. Well, LEDs are great, but you can't beat that. Just a beautiful symbol. Light here in the Bible represents wisdom and knowledge and truth. And Jesus is the sum total of all truth and knowledge and wisdom. Now, in contrast, darkness represents the realm and reign of Satan, of death and hell and sin. And Jesus is the light who has overcome that darkness. Jesus said himself in John 8:12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I challenge you to read that passage, John 8, and learn about where Jesus was standing when he said that, what was going on around him when he said that, because he's in the middle of the temple complex and there is a huge Jewish ritual going on, lighting uh, big lampstands and stuff. And Jesus says, I am the light. It's powerful. It's, you can't just fortune cookie this. It's, a, it's an amazing account. So John chapter 8, there's your homework. Jesus was and is the only way out of the realm of darkness. He is the only escape from sin and death and hell. The only way. Jesus is also the agent of our adoption. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He's talking about John the Baptist. That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus was rejected by men. He was then and largely is now. But that's never changed the purpose of his coming. To give the right to become children of God to all who believe. It's a popular thought that we're all children of God. That everybody is a child of God. 
that just existing makes you a child of God. You were born, and so therefore, you're, you're one of God's children. And as we learned playing a game with our family yesterday, just because the majority believes something doesn't make it right. No one, no one is born into the family of God. Not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. We all have to be adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. When someone says, I'm a child of God, we're all God's children. You have faith in Jesus Christ? No. You ain't. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You remove Jesus from that situation. If you take him out of the equation, you no longer have children of God. You no longer have adoption as sons. When we receive the spirit of adoption through faith in Jesus Christ, we get to call, we get to cry out, Abba. Now you'll see in your English translation say, Abba, Father, every time. Well, the original manuscripts don't have that word twice. Abba means daddy. It's a term of endearment. Uh, my children do not refer to me as father. They call me dad, right? When they do call me father, either I'm in trouble or they are. I don't know. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. When we're adopted as God's children through faith in Jesus, we get to call on God as dad. And that's that's beautiful. And though Jesus is all of these spiritual things, and has all these roles, what we celebrate at Christmas time is his incarnation. All right, though Jesus is fully God, he is also, at the same time, fully man. Jesus was a man in every way that you can be a man, and yet still God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So that baby in the manger is the incarnation of God. Now, incarnation doesn't just make instant breakfast. Incarnation... Sorry. Incarnation is different. Incarnation means to put on flesh. Incarnate. Carne is the Latin word. means meat. All right? Flesh. To put on flesh. And the very words the apostle uses here, incarnate, when the word became flesh. 
At Christmas time, we use the name Emmanuel, saying it this morning. Emmanuel means God with us. And that's what Jesus did in the nativity story. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. There's so much more than just a baby. And finally, uh, the last thing, at least according to this text, is that Jesus is the key to God's grace. Verse 16 says, for from, him, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses to show us what sin is and to show us that we are sinful. Now, the world today doesn't want to talk about sin. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to be called sinners. They don't want to hear about that concept at all. That's the reason that the law is given. You wonder why the world wants to take the Ten Commandments down off of all of the courthouses and public buildings? is because it publicly exposes sin. It creates a standard, or it it has created a standard that is beyond our personal definition. I don't want anybody calling me a sinner. And that's what the law does. It says I'm a sinner. Paul wrote in Romans 7, 7, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, we've talked about this before. None of us can say that we have never broken the Ten Commandments. That's, that's what John is writing about, the Ten Commandments. We've never, none of us have gotten away with any of it. We've broken all of them. And breaking the law is what sin is. As it says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. What we earn by sinning is death. So if you think, well, maybe you've never gotten away with not breaking the Ten Commandments. Do you want to try? I love this. This is my favorite thing. You want to test it out? See if you can make it. Thou shalt uh, uh, worship the Lord your God, right? One and only God. You ever put anything else before God? Ever worshipped anything else? The answer is yes, because you, it's you, first of all. You worship yourself more. You shall not create any graven images to bow down to them. <laughs> Clear, right? Never made an idol, right? Never put a thing uh, before God. Hmm? Hmm? Be honest. Never put a thing before God? Yeah. Well... Uh, third commandment, shall not take the Lord, uh, the Lord's name in vain. Use God's name as a curse word. That's one way. Saying you're doing something in God's name when you're not. It's another way. We're all guilty. Uh, the fourth commandment, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. <laughs> right? Don't do any, any work on the Sabbath. Yep. Uh, you shall honor your mother and father. 
Yeah, like if you have a mother and father, guilty, <laughs> right? Um, let's see, you shall not kill. Whew. Finally, well, Jesus said, if you hate anyone in your heart, you've murdered them. <laughs> Rats. Right? Uh, number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Whew. All right, made it. No, Jesus said, if you lust after someone, you have committed adultery in your heart. Guilty, right? Number eight, uh, you shall not steal. Hmm, stolen a pen, stolen a pack of gum. Stealing is stealing. It doesn't matter if it's a car, rob a bank, steal a pen from work. Stealing is stealing, right? Uh, number nine, you shall not lie. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Never lied? Yeah. Guilty. And number 10, you shall not covet. <laughs> this is like, we just had Christmas, right? <laughs> All I want is a bigger, better, you know, whatever thing like my neighbor has. I'm so glad I got a better hand plane than, than uh, you know, that guy on YouTube now, whatever. Right? So that's how the law works. And we can all say we're guilty of all of those things. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died in our place, he took the wages of our sin upon himself on the cross. He paid the penalty that we deserve. He is the key to God's grace. You don't get access to forgiveness without Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's grace expressed. The expression of God's grace. Through his death by God's grace, life is made available to us. We simply just need to trust in him. In summary, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the age of our adoption, and Jesus is the key to God's grace. And when you look into the manger, is that what you see? Because that's who was there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. That there was so much more than just a postcard. That there's just, though the nativity is beautiful, there is so much more going on than just sentimentality. That you are breaking through into our reality on your way from the cradle to the cross to take the burden of our sin upon yourself to die in our place on the cross that we might be forgiven through faith in you. And we can't ever thank you enough. But may we spend the rest of our lives here on this earth trying. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 